happy Advent as we continue our Advent season. Now, my wife will tell you, and it is true, that I am the biggest Christmas Grinch that there is. Uh, I do love Christmas. I love the Christmas hymns. I love gathering on uh, Christmas Eve and singing carols and the lights. But I do not love putting on, you know, up the Christmas tree. I do not love putting up the decorations. Because my thought is, like, you know, you're going to take them down in a month. Why put them up to begin with? Uh, but, uh, but they are pretty, and, and I, I have enjoyed it. But as we get into this season where we focus in on what it is really about, which is focusing in on Christ, right? Focusing in on Christ from the world. That's what the word Advent means, is Christ coming into our world. Last week we talked about how it is Jesus, by his coming into the world and his life, death, and resurrection, that he reconciles us to God and the incredible gift that is. And that God continues once to reconcile different parts of our life, even after we've given our life to Christ. And today we're talking about how it is Jesus that sets us free. And now this is some good news, guys. So I hope this is something, I know, don't let Tavon be the only one over here shouting out amens, because this is something to get excited about. Because Jesus, we believe this, that Jesus sets us free from everything that enslaves us in this world. So there's a movie out right now uh, about Harriet Tubman, and for some reason, one of the really interesting and unique things about my daughter, uh, Sophie, is that she is lashed on to some of these women in history, uh, some of these really unique and interesting women, and one of the people that she lashed on to was Harriet Tubman, and she wrote a report about Harriet Tubman at school, and this is something she picked up all on her own. I have no idea where it came from. And so with the movie coming out and thinking about this idea that Jesus sets us free, I, I looked up Harriet and her story, and it's really amazing. She's this incredible woman who was enslaved, that she was born a slave. In fact, she was beaten so badly growing up that she had horrible headaches and, and sometimes have these visions, but later, God would even speak to her through these visions. And that she was saved through the Underground Railroad. She grew up in Maryland and was saved the Underground Railroad, was taken to Philadelphia. And these are some of the things that she said about being set free. She said, I looked at my hands, this is when she got to freedom, to see if I was the same person now that I was free. She said, there was such glory over everything. The sun came up like gold through the trees and I felt like I was in heaven. Could you imagine what that was like to be a slave and then one day to be set free? free, and the freedom in her heart that she felt. She said it was like heaven. And she also said, God's time is always near. He gave me my strength, and he set the north star in the heavens, and he meant I should be free. What she's telling us is that no matter what it is that we feel like we are enslaving to, that Jesus wants to set us free. But then she was free, and she was in Philadelphia, and she began to think about her situation, and this is what she said. Then I was a stranger in a strange land, which is a quote from Scripture. And she said, my father, my mother, my brothers and sisters and friends were in Maryland, but I was free and I felt they should be free. So when God sets us free, God then calls us to work on freeing others. Now, I hope to God that none of us in this room experience anything close to what Harriet Tubman felt in actual physical slavery. Some have called slavery America's original sin, and I think they're absolutely right. Incredibly tragic part of our history that still affects us to this very day. I hope that we never experience anything close to that. 
the truth of our life, the reality that all of us live is that we are each and every one of us enslaved to something. Before we give our life to Christ, we're all enslaved to sin. That's what we believe as Christians, that we, by our sin, had, had enslaved ourselves. We believe in, in our communion liturgy. It says that Jesus set us free from slavery to sin and to death because we're given new life in Jesus Christ, an abundant life now. So we, we can be enslaved to sin. And even, even after, this is, I think this astounds me because it's so true in my own life, even after we've had Jesus break those shackles from us, right? For some reason as Christians, we go and we put them back on. And we allow ourselves to be enslaved by sin once again. Anyone experience that in their life? Jesus set you free. You have the power to live without sin in your life. But for some reason, you just can't let it go. And you just clap those shackles back on your wrist. Because that's what we do when we sin. And Jesus wants to break those bonds as well. There's so many things that we are enslaved to in this life. Some people have a slavery and addiction to sex and pornography. Some people have a slavery to anger and hate for other people. Some people have a slavery to some medical conditions in their life. Some people have slavery to anxiety and depression, and it just affects every moment inside and outside of their life. And Jesus wants to shatter all of those trains. That's what the, the story of Jesus coming into our life, the story that we can hold on to this morning is that whatever it is that you feel enslaved to this morning, to cry out to Jesus. Because Jesus wants to set you free. Our scripture this morning comes from Luke. And this is actually past the birth narrative. I know some people might be offended that we're not reading the same, you know, Advent stories every, that we read every year. But this goes a little bit past that stage. This is when Jesus, right after he had been driven into the desert and was tempted by Satan, and he begins his ministry in the book of Luke. And so we start in, start in Luke chapter 4, starting with verse 14. It says, Jesus returned, this is from the desert, in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news spread about him throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been raised. On the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue as he normally did and stood to read. And the synagogue assistant gave him the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Now, think about this, the context of this for a second. Jesus goes back to his hometown, goes in the synagogue. They unroll the scripture written in Hebrew. Isaiah is full of scriptures that talk about the Messiah, that from all on the time it was written all the way through up to Jesus' time, people were like, these scriptures are pointing us towards the Messiah, right? And it's specifically where it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Messiah literally means anointed one. Like, you know, David was anointed when he became king. That was a symbol of what it meant to be king. A coming king would be anointed. And he's reading the scripture about being anointed by the spirit of the Lord. He has set me to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives or the prisoners. Isn't it funny when you learn in one, one version, you see it even when it says something different? Recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let's talk about some of these things. Preach good news to the poor. How incredible when Jesus says that his mission, this is his announcement, right? This is his coming out party, if you will, to say what he is all about. And he says that my mission is to preach good news to the poor. In Matthew, he says, Blessed are the poor, for they will inherit the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of earth. 
Now, poor in spirit is interesting. A lot of times we kind of make that seem like it's about being humble, that to be poor in spirit is humble. I don't really think that's what it is. Would you say, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the broken. Blessed are those who don't have it together. Blessed are the lost. Blessed are the confused. Because they, because of Jesus, theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. Luke is a little different. He actually says in his Beatitudes, blessed are the poor, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. And he's saying the poor, the people that all of us might walk past and think, oh, those are just those people over there that throughout history have been minimized because they don't, they're not people of importance. They're not people of wealth. He says, blessed are the poor. You know, it's not a mistake that Jesus came to poor and ordinary folks like Mary and Joseph he didn't come as the son of Herod, who was the king. He didn't come as a son of a priest. He didn't come as a son of the Roman emperor. He came as the son of poor Jewish people, of people who are oppressed by the Romans. Jesus is telling us that this gospel is going to turn everything on its head, and he's going to liberate us from the things that enslave us. To proclaim release to the prisoners... Especially in this day, you could get thrown in jail for just about anything. You, get, you make the Romans mad, they're going to lock you up. And not only that, you had to pay for your family. So if you were thrown in jail, your family still had to pay for your food and your, to, to keep you so that you could survive. And these were not pleasant places. So he's proclaiming the release of prisoners. Recovery of sight to the blind. We know this in stories that Jesus healed the blind so they might see. But I think also there's a deeper level here that we'll get into in a moment. That Jesus not only restores people who physically can't see, but spiritually can't see. And gives them sight to see as God sees. To liberate the oppressed. The the Jewish people were oppressed people by the Romans. But Jesus came to liberate all people who were oppressed by powers greater than themselves. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, this is Jubilee, a uh, very special time. I don't, they actually don't know if this was ever practiced in the Jewish faith, but it was every 50 years, all the debts would be forgiven, land would, be go, would go back to its original uh, owners. I could really use some Jubilee. Uh, many of our college graduates, I'm sure, would enjoy some group Jubilee, uh, have those uh, college loans you know, forgiven. That would be wonderful. But that's what he's saying. I'm proclaiming these in very important and powerful things. Reading from the prophet Isaiah, a scripture that had been known and attached to the Messiah. And then he says, he rolls up the scroll and he gave it back to the synagogue assistant and sat down. Everyone, every eye in the synagogue was fixed on him. And he began to explain to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. He's saying, guys, I'm the Messiah. I'm coming to do these things. I'm coming to change the way the world works. Amazing things are going to happen. Everyone was, raving about, uh, everyone was raving about Jesus, so impressed were they by the gracious words flowing from his lips. And then they said, this is Joseph's son, isn't it? What a powerful story this morning. Jesus announcing his mission to set people free. There's a few things I want to really kind of zero in. And that is that Jesus came to liberate, that Jesus came to give the blind sight, and Jesus calls us to go in the same mission throughout our life. So Jesus liberates us. What is holding you back? What has ensnared you? 
What has bound you away from the life that you know that you are called to live? I asked a few people in the congregation, and they gave me different answers. Of course, one thing is sin. We know that sin is that very real thing. Sin is missing the mark. Sin is the distraction that keeps us from God's will in our life. Sin is disobedience from God. And we become enslaved to it. Even as followers of Christ, we can become enslaved to sin if we let it. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that God made Jesus himself become sin. He who knew no sin to become sin so that we could be set free. On Jesus' death on the cross, when he was hanging up there on the cross for us, all the sin that had happened in the world before Jesus and all the sin that would happen after Jesus, he took on the punishment for every one of it. Every moment, every thought, every action that would ever happen, that ever would happen, he took the punishment so that we could be set free. We talk about how Jesus liberates from sin, from sin. He literally took on the sin. It says he became sin. Jesus took the sin into himself so that you and I could be set free. But church, we gotta stop putting on those shackles we got to stop putting them back on every day. We're going to make mistakes. Don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you that you need from this day forward never to sin again. Thank God for confession. And thank God for forgiveness, right? But we need to strive every day to be a little bit better than the day before. And when we find ourselves putting those chains back on or we see a loved one or someone in the church doing it, we need to come alongside them and say, let me help you break those chains. Stop allowing yourself to be enslaved with sin. Something else that someone mentioned is a slavery to anxiety. Boy, I feel this. I feel this in our world, guys. I feel it in our individual lives. I feel it in my life. It feels like we're so anxious about everything. And there's a lot of things to be anxious about. Don't get me wrong. But we are not called to live in a spirit of fear, in a spirit of anxiety. And I believe that God comes alongside us through medical professionals, because some people have a condition of anxiety, right? And God comes alongside of us in those medical professionals and can heal us through them. But also, we need to turn to God. When we feel those, that anxiety and fear creeping in our life and it holding us back and it holding us back from maybe what we're supposed to do in life, or it's holding us back from doing the things that God has called us to do because they were scary, we need to trust God. We need to turn to God. We need to get on our hands and our knees and pray to God. When you're feeling anxious, do you turn to God? Do you seek help from the Lord? I think so often we seek help from every other place except from God. God is calling us. God is here to break those chains. If only we will turn to God. The third area is guilt and shame. So much of our culture is about shame, right? I always get frustrated when I see those videos that people think are so cute. When a kid does something wrong and then a parent like shames them by making them walk home on the side of the road and then film it and put it on Facebook or they shave their head or they do something horrific to their kid and then they think it's funny to have other people laugh at their kid, that's terrible. And that's such a part of our shame culture that we shame people who are different than ourselves. Or we shame people for what they're doing. I'm not saying don't discipline your kids. I'm not saying don't, you know, make sure them the people that God has called. That's your duty as parents. We don't need to shame them. We don't need to live in a culture of guilt and shame. And in the church, this happens too, doesn't it, right? So many times when we've made mistakes, when we've messed up in the world, the church always wants to point out what we've done wrong. Now, we need to hold each other lovingly accountable, 
We need to come next to each other when we're struggling with sin and say, this isn't the life that God has for you. But we don't do it through guilt and shame. Ashley, when we were talking about Ashley Garib, who's our uh, children's coordinator and our um, adult spiritual formation leader, gave me a quote I wanted to share with you about how God liberates us. She said, I grew up in a church with the word grace in it, but ironically, until coming to Rockbridge, I never understood the meaning of Christ's redemptive grace and what forgiveness really meant. Now, that's heartbreaking, right? That people would grow up in a church and never experience God's grace in our life. There's nothing about Christ that's in guilt and shame. We don't shame you. We don't shame other people. We need to experience grace. And Christ's love, and, and that's another thing that Jesus wants to break the shackles of our culture of shaming other people and making them feel guilty. So Jesus liberates us from so many things, but specifically from sin and from anxiety and from guilt and shame. The next thing I want to talk about was that Jesus gives the blind sight. Now, again, we've seen this in Scripture where where there are people who cannot see physically, and Jesus gives them the ability to see. He heals them physically. I've actually experienced this in my life. My father is a diabetic. He has diabetic retinopathy, and so he lost his sight. He literally lost his sight. And uh, he lost it while I was in seminary, and I met Michelle in 2007, right when I graduated, and he wanted to be able to watch us get married. And so he started taking shots in his eye, but I truly believe that, the, that God was healing him through this experimental procedure that he found. Because he was praying to God, I just want to see my son get married. And God gave him sight. God uses our doctors. God uses our nurses. God uses our medication. Just because it is through them doesn't mean that God doesn't play a hand in it. And of course God can heal miraculously. So Jesus bring sight to the blind. But I also believe, and I think this is a word we need to hear today, that Jesus brings sight to all of us who are spiritually blind. There's a song, uh, Give Me Your Eyes. We've sang it a, quite a few times, and it's by Matthew West. And it's, he's talking about how he's walking through an airport or he's walking outside and how he just, all these people that he had never really noticed them before. And he, he, he says this in the chorus. He says, give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see. Everything I keep missing, give your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted, the ones that are far beyond my reach. Give me your heart for the ones forgotten. Give me your eyes so I can see. How powerful is that? What he's saying is, take the blinders away from my eyes and help me see people for who they are. We need this desperately in our culture. Right now, we want to vilify people who are different, who think different, who look different, who act different, and we want to shame them, and we want to dehumanize them. This is what social media goes on all over on social media, which is tragic. Social media should be like the Muppets commercial. Do you know the one I'm talking about, the Portal commercial, where all the Muppets are, are like reconnecting because through the, the Facebook portal? That's what social media is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be reconnecting with people we love. And I've heard story after story of how that's happening. But too often we've used it to shame people who we see different. And we dehumanize them. And if you think about what that word, you make them less than human. And that's what we do as we go around and we just ignore the people and their problems around us. We dehumanize them and we think of them as less than human. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't just see us, doesn't see our actions and judge us for them. He looks into our souls and he sees who God created us to be in the first place. 
So Jesus liberates us. He gives us the ability to see with Jesus' eyes and not see the mistakes that people have made, but see who God has created them to be. And when we see people who God created them to be, maybe we don't want to be so hateful. Maybe we don't want to be so mean. Maybe we want to actually take care of the needs of our fellow humans rather than ignoring them. Jesus gives blind or gives sight to the blind. Finally, Jesus sends us on his mission to set people free. We are God's chosen instrument to set people free in this world. Harriet Tubman could not stand being free, knowing her relatives were still enslaved back home. Think about that. She had a restlessness inside of us. Why are we any less? Why do we have the capability to know that we have been set free by God from our sin, from all those things in life, that we've had the shackles ripped off of us, and we see our people that we walk by, the people we love, the people we care, and we know that they are enslaved to sin. We know they're struggling with things in life. How can we be content in this world when we know people are enslaved? I don't think we can. I don't think we should. And so Jesus sends us out on the same mission to announce good news to the poor, sight to the blind, proclaim release to the prisoners, to liberate the oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Christ coming to the world meant that Jesus liberates us, that Jesus gives sight to the blind, and Jesus sends us on a mission. My question for you this morning is, what is that mission? What is the mission this morning? And I wanted to tell you a little bit about mine. Um, I apologize for getting emotional from time to time, but it just happens. Thank you. (laughs) Last year when World Vision came to Michelle and I, and we felt passionate about the global water crisis. This is not the only problem. There's dozens of problems. There's hundreds of problems. There's probably thousands of problems. But this is one particular problem that we felt about as a family that we could do something about. You know, we run every Saturday with Phil and some other folks. And uh, because there's 800 million people in this world who don't have access to clean water, it's the number one killer of people who are under the age of, of five. Number one killer, all because they don't have access to clean water. And friends, it's a solvable problem. And so we've made a commitment. Our whole family's done it. You, you see us out there. It's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of funny. Scott's out there riding his bike. Michelle and I are running. Sophie rides her bike. Amelia rides behind Scott. It's, it's a family affair. We're going to keep moving our feet until this problem is no more. And, vi- and World Vision has said by 2030 they want to end this problem. And this is a solvable problem. That's our mission. I'd love for you to join alongside it. I'd love for you to, to run the race. I know some of y'all are in the process, you've considered it, you're doing some of it, to do it, raise some funds for that, that's great. But that's not really what I'm asking you to do today. I'm asking you to think about what is your mission. You don't have to solve all the world's problems. Just pick one. Pick one that you can make an impact on. Pick one that you can make a difference in. Pick one that for one person, you know you've made a difference. And I'll give you an example these things that are on the tree, these young women who so many churches have rejected because they got pregnant as teenagers, you can be Christ for them. So pick one up. Buy some presents. Pray over those presents and give some love to some young women who may not feel that loved this Christmas. 
I don't know that there's a more powerful message that we could hear this morning than that Jesus has set us free. So if you haven't experienced that freedom in your life, a freedom of sin, then I want to talk to you because I got some good news for you. It's the greatest gift that God has ever given. And then if you are, I ask that you work for others. Take those blinders off your eyes to see people as human and join in Jesus' mission to liberate the world from all the things that enslave us because that's what we're called to do. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.